Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, April 17th, 2017. All right, so yesterday was Easter. That means it's time for your submissions for the worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. Details in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to do the comparative work to test and see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that's oftentimes how that works. And what we find is that the steady diet being put out there uh, for people to consume as far as doctrine and teaching, which, by the way, are the same thing. Doctrine and teaching are synonyms that uh, often what is put out there is far from sound. It's far from biblical. In fact, oftentimes it's just utter nonsense. You know, worthless, empty words designed to make a book. Yeah, we find that oftentimes here. And uh, the idea here is that we want to help you to understand what Scripture says, learn how to properly exegete, use good hermeneutics, context, 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 so that you will be not be deceived, but you can find a good church where a pastor will properly care for you, properly preach God's Word, properly distinguish between law and gospel, so that your faith will be built up, that you will be edified and uh, and not deceived and schnookered and all that kind of stuff. <sighs> so, uh, like I said at the opening of the program, it is now <laughs> post-Easter. Yes, Yesterday was the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and his victorious resurrection, bodily resurrection from the grave. And uh, we're going to spend this week listening to Good sermons. <laughs> While you are listening to the good sermons, I've already begun to receive submissions for this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest. And oh man, 
Yeah, so for me, it's not it's it's not like you know I have extra time. If anything, I'm already behind because one of the things that we do is we actually preview all of the submissions. And if you uh, think that uh, somebody uh, should be considered for our our contest this year, send me an email and in the subject put worst Easter sermon contest as the subject. Uh, that way we can flag them and and put them. You know, I have a program that will move them over so that we can. Have them all in one space, and uh, we will try to leave like we have in the past uh, a space in the the contest itself uh, as far as we can into next week. And we'll begin next week with um, my findings, your submissions, and what will be this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest. And you're thinking worst Easter sermon of the year? What is that? Well, we kind of work from the idea here that uh, all year round, and I mean this, all year round, we don't have any problem finding really bad Bible-twisting, inept handlings of God's Word, weird, narcissistic eisegesis, and complete deception going. We don't have a problem finding that. If anything, it's becoming more and more difficult to find good sound exegetes. They're, They're becoming rare, really rare and uh, but what we want to do is highlight during this time of the year if there's ever going to be a sermon where it's going to really stick out like a sore thumb that uh, that your pastor or maybe the pastor of somebody who's a friend or a family member is not handling God's word Easter Sunday oftentimes is the most obvious tell and so uh, what we do here is we try to find, if you would, great samples, and by great I mean awful, <laughs> yeah, kind of word opposite here, but uh, so we f- try to find gr- awful examples, like the most awfulest examples of the many different ways in which, uh, you know, bad uh, Easter sermons go bad, and we want to find them, you know, in like the quintessential example in each of the different categories that we have identified over the years. And then what we do every year, not the week after, but the second week after Easter, uh, we have a contest so that uh, <laughs> everything we do here is designed that next week. You know, it's you know the the hour two is going to be you listen, and then at the end of the week we literally open up uh, voting, and we have voting from Friday to the following Friday plus Saturday and Sunday, and then we announce the winner on the you know the the you know third and fourth week, yeah, something like that. Fourth week, you know, and you you get the idea. So. You know, previous winners have included like Rob Bell and Joel Osteen and people like that. But anyway, so this is the time for you to start submitting your worst Easter sermon of the year uh, contestants for consideration. And to help out, what we'll do with uh, today's episode in the second half of the first hour is give you some examples of you know, what it is that you're looking for by giving you some people who will not be making the cut this year, but you'll see from the examples that we're giving, (laughs) Victoria Osteen being one of them. I know you're thinking, are you sure she shouldn't be considered for the contest? Yeah, based on what I'm already seeing, (laughs) although it's bad, it's it's not a quintessential example, but you kind of get the idea, but let us decide what that quintessential example would be. If you're just not sure, send us the link. Please send us the link and we will consider it. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Due to the fact that 
each each day this week, we're going to have good lectures and sermons and things like that, um, good Easter sermons on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, that means that none of the episodes of Fighting for the Faith this week are actually going to be themed. Yeah, um, due to the fact that uh, when we theme an episode, I mean, it's from the first segment all the way through the sermon review. Um, and since all of the sermons are going to be good sermons this week. You know, it's this week as far as fighting for the faith is concerned, no no themes. No themes. Probably no themes next week either because again, if it, if I can't theme the entire program, it ain't got a theme. So, um it, this is just going to be like <laughs> the next 2 weeks as far as the bad stuff we're reviewing, total free for all. It's just going to be mayhem is the way of looking at it. So uh, I've tried to come up with kind of like pseudo sub themes, but they're not quite themes. You, you get the idea. And so uh, let's t- <laughs> let's talk about what we're going to do today. So we're going to begin with a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate update, and we're going to check in with uh, the Praying Medic podcast, and uh, it, he's interviewing uh, author Michael King about practical steps that you can take to raise the dead. I figured, you know, coming off of Easter, <laughs> you know, hey, you know, raising the dead, hey, it seems like very, you know, we're, we're like really in tune with the season here. And so we're going to listen to uh, the praying medic and Michael King talk about Michael King's books on raising the dead and practical steps for raising the dead. It's, <laughs> I am going to have to play our standard warning before we get into that. That's all I'm saying. And then we're going to check in. We're going to do a new Apostolic Reformation update as we check in with Lance Wallnow. Um, and he explains to us the details of the Passover prophecy. Yeah, apparently there's a new, we're in the new season of the shaking and the breakthrough and the stuff and the, you know, the, <laughs> you kind of get the idea. And uh, so he, he did a, a periscope session and now he's doing, he's got like two devices. He does periscope and Facebook live simultaneously. And, um, so we're going to listen in as he explains to us and, and his Periscopians and Facebookians uh, w- what the Passover prophecy is. And then it, it, we're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to be checking in with uh, Andy Wood, uh, South Bay Church, as he explains to us how Jesus gives us the ability to do a do-over. And this dangerous this is a dangerous way to talk about the gospel. Really, really dangerous way to talk about it. And then to round out our number one, we're gonna listen to Victoria Osteen as she explains to us what you know, you remember when Jesus is crucified, you're going, Yeah, we just read about it. Yeah, okay, and and then Joseph of Arimathea, right? He asked Pilate for the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well then he put Jesus in the tomb, right? Yes. And then what did he do? He rolled a stone. Yeah. He he rolled a stone in front of the tomb. And then on, you know, Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday, the, the women were going to the tomb. And uh, we're going to learn from Victoria Osteen what that stone in front of the tomb really signifies. Mm-hmm. That's the way I could put it. And then in hour number two, we're going to start off this week of good Easter sermons by checking in with uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley as he preaches on the uh, resurrection of Christ from the Gospel of Mark and his sermon titled, He is Risen. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. 
And as always, I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, and this one's a little bit on the really bizarre side, <laughs> more than really bizarre. It like truly is crazy bizarre. I mean, this is you. you I don't want you driving. <laughs> heavy deadly equipment without being warned on this one so let's play one of our warnings and then we'll get into it warning fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities operating heavy deadly equipment playing farmville or any time-wasting brain-numbing activity for sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You've been warned. Get up right now. That's right, Robert Tilton and Hubabaconda. So we're heading over to the podcast of the Praying Medic as he interviews Michael King regarding his books on like faith to raise the dead and practical steps, of course, to raise the dead. I hope you're sitting down, uh, and you know, because I've never thought of it quite in this way. Here we go. So, Mr. Michael, it's been a while since we've done a podcast. Yes, it has. And you have a new book out. I do called Faith to Raise the Dead. And I'm pretty excited about it. This is a little interesting because now you've written two books on raising the dead and I haven't written any. And you're putting me to shame and you're making me feel insecure and inadequate. So what the heck is up with you writing two books on raising the dead before I get a chance to write one? If it makes you feel better, your books sell better than mine do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're still making me look bad, man. So you wrote... And published Practical Keys to Raising the Dead. That was a couple months ago. <laughs> Practical Keys to Raising the Dead. Wow, yeah. Uh, now, here's the weird part is that, you know, with a uh, name like The Praying Medic, um, you would think that this guy, that this fellow, you know, understands the importance of medical records when it comes to claims regarding the raising of the dead. And already we kind of have a, a little bit of a problem. Practical steps. To raising the dead, I mean, I didn't realize that there were certain practical things that I needed to be doing so that I could raise the dead. And don't you think that if Scripture 
really wanted us to know that there were practical steps that we can take in order to raise the dead, that it would lay those out for us in very clear and uncertain ways. You you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying that God can't raise the dead. In fact, I'm 100% confident that he can. If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is in vain. Um, That being the case, though, uh, there's really, in Scripture, just a handful of instances of God raising people from the dead. And with the exception of Jesus, everyone who's actually been raised from the dead is now dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's weird how that works. You see, and there's there's a reason for that, and that is is that we haven't been promised eternal life here in this cursed creation. And so we as Christians have a great hope, the hope of the resurrection when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead and raises everybody from the grave. And uh, we Christians were raised to eternal life. Unfortunately, those who persist in sin and unbelief, they have an eternal fate with the devil and his angels in the lake of fire. This is what Scripture clearly teaches. So that being the case, I actually i am a firm believer in resurrection. I'm also a firm believer that God can raise people from the dead. That being the case, my job and your job as Christians is not to raise the dead. I know that might sound weird. No, the Great Commission is this, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that Christ has commanded. Yeah, so we're to go and make disciples of all nations, and you can think of it this way. Everybody who's brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, a resurrection in part has already taken place. Ephesians 2, uh, verse 1, makes it clear that all of us, before we were Christians, we were dead in trespasses and sins. And through the preaching of the gospel, God has made us alive in Christ and has seated us with him in heavenly places and things like this. This is what Scripture says. And so the idea then is is that everybody who's been made a disciple, they have already been raised from death to life, and they physically, although they physically will die, yeah, Scripture over and again kind of describes the way Christians are when they're dead as asleep. Yeah, they're resting, yep waiting for the return of Christ. Now, they're present with Christ. This is what Paul says in Philippians. He says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But our hope in eternity is not eternity as a disembodied spirit. No, quite quite the opposite. No, Jesus is going to make a new heavens, new earth, and he's going to raise us from the grave, and we will live forever with Christ face-to-face in a new earth. Now, that's what Scripture says. So we actually have a firm hope of the resurrection, but... Already, this um, this episode is off to a weird start. Uh huh. And don't let the fact that the praying medic, you know, has something to do with the medical profession actually fool you. In order for a resurrection to have really taken place, we would need a death certificate, and then we would need to see, you know, proof that the dead person is now alive. Um, within the uh, the charismatic, greater charismatic and NAR movements. Uh, there are there are stories that abound and claims of resurrection and stuff like that that are always really, 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 really fuzzy on the details as to who and when and who verified that the person was dead and things like that. We continue. 
Yeah, that was I want to say like October, November. I forget exactly. But when. that's a that's a short book. Yes. It's essentially just kind of down and dirty. Here are some practical tips and keys to raising the dead. Not a lot of theology, not a lot of in-depth teaching, I'm guessing. It's meant to be something that hopefully, unless you're a super slow reader, you could read in 30 minutes or less. And the goal is, because especially too, like, let's say somebody dies, you weren't expecting it, what do you do? Well, if you hop on... (laughs) All right, somebody dies, what do you do? It's time to call the coroner. Um maybe a funeral home i mean that's how that works kindle you can find it read the book in less than 30 minutes and all of a sudden you now know what to do <laughs> okay so, oh man so let me see if i have this straight so you know i you, i get the news you know one of the parishioners of Kongsvinger has unexpectedly died. I mean, they were just going about their day, and blammo, now they're dead. What do you do? What do you do? Quick, honey, grab my Kindle, would you? What, what do you want that for? I, I, I got to download that Michael King book on practical steps to raising the dead. What? You want to do what? Yeah, but shouldn't you be calling? No, 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 no. Don't call. Tell everyone to stop calling. No one talk about this. I need 30 minutes to, you know, download and read this practical steps on raising the dead so that we can, you know, practice on uh, on our dearly departed. Are you out of your mind? No, no, no. Really, this will work. It was on praying medic. Oh, well, that changes everything. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? You know, you download the you know, you download Michael King's uh, you know book on practical steps to raising the dead. Very short book; you can read it in less than thirty minutes. And so you you delay calling the coroner. You... <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so let's, let's give it let's give it a crack, would you? Okay, all right, let's try this. All right, and what do you end up doing? It, all you've done is wasted thirty minutes and money, by the way. You know, on something that ain't gonna work. Um. And so, I mean, I wrote that specifically geared towards I don't have months to redevelop a theological belief system and whatever else. I need to know what to do right now. Right. Um, whereas Faith to Raise the Dead, it's uh, 290 pages long, basically. It's it's much more of a I've got time to look at this, sit with it, study, read, and and really start delving into the situation and kind of be prepared in advance. So, I mean, there's gear reports, two different things. Um, and I will say, too, the practical keys, all of the stuff contained in practical keys to raise the dead is in Faith to Raise the Dead. So Faith to Raise the Dead is a longer work. And what kind of topics do you cover in that book? So we cover a lot of stuff. The uh, The book's split into two parts. The first part, the theology of resurrection, has to do with altering our belief systems in ways that, that basically help promote faith and help us engage spiritual principles to be successful. Uh, help us engage spiritual principles to be successful. Uh-huh. Right. All I can say is buyer beware. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, talk about Listen, when somebody's family member or friend dies, I mean, that is a major, you know, sock to the gut, if you would. I mean, they are in the depths of despair going into mourning. And this is oftentimes just a terrible, terrible time in their life. 
And what has this fellow done? He's come up with a completely, you know, um, let's just say predatory product designed to prey on people when they are at their literally, literally in the depths of despair, you know. And so not only now have they lost a loved one, they've paid 15 bucks for a Kindle book that promises them practical steps to raise the dead. And now they're out 15 bucks and 30 minutes and, you know, all this kind of stuff. This is unbelievable. Wow. Uh, based on changing the way we view God, changing the way we view our authority, kind of changing our perspectives as a whole. And, and then the second, cat, the second part of the book is geared more towards, okay, what do I actually do now? So the first part is changing our belief systems, changing our understanding of God, changing the way we view death and resurrection and et eternal life. And I'm guessing that it's your view that a lot of us are not raising the dead because we have <laughs> faulty belief systems. Oh, man. <laughs> the reason why we're not raising the dead is because we have faulty belief systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the New Testament, mm -hmm, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, how many people were physically raised from the dead by the apostles? Was it a big number or was it a really small number? Uh-huh, it was a really small number. And I'm pretty sure that the apostles... That they had faith. Yeah, I, I'm 100% positive. And, and here's the weird part. You know what happened to all of the apostles? They're dead. Yeah, they're dead. It's the weirdest thing. Um, <laughs> they're all dead, every one of them. And still dead, too. And, and so, I mean, wow. So it's all up to you. Apparently, if you don't have enough faith, you can't raise the dead. But if you just change your whole belief system, then, well, you know, you can you can do it, you know. Yeah, I, I thought it was God who raises the dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, this this is, wow, this is quite awful. That inform us of uh, things that are not actually God's heart for death and resurrection. I think that's probably a good way of putting it. I mean, I don't know that I would have said it that way, but I mean, I think that's basically it, yeah. I think there's a lot of factors that influence whether we raise the dead, but I think the the main one is that we have a, what I call a death culture. We, we, we have a death culture. Really? We believe and expect people to die. Yeah, I thought the wages of sin was death. So, hey, hey, you know the reason why everyone's out dying all out there, you know? It's because we have a death culture. You know, we just expect people to die, and that's why they die, you know? <laughs> this is the most absurd thing ever. And that's not just in the church and yeah, the body that's, yeah. of Christ. That's I mean, that's worldwide. We expect people to die. We yeah. have involved rituals of how people die, what to do when they die. So we've got really deeply entrenched beliefs surrounding an expectation of death. Uh, man. Do I need to go on? I wow, this is just nonsense. It's not even. It's not biblical. It, this is nonsense. I mean, the whole narrative is just absurd on its face. Yeah, the reason why there's all this death out there is because people just well, we've created a death culture and they just expect to die. Right. 
if you would just stop expecting it, then, you know, you'd never die, huh? Still there. And it, how long has this been going on in the church? For millennia. How do you know? Because people from a thousand years ago, man, they're dead, you know, and from like a hundred years ago, they're all dead. In fact, I just read a news report that the 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 last surviving human being from the nineteenth century, uh huh, that would be the eighteen hundreds. She just died. Yeah, if only she hadn't expected it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard. On this edition, or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break! When we come back, we're going to be uh, checking in with Lance Wellnow and then Victoria Osteen. I might have to save Andy for tomorrow. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. The management of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to apologize to all of our listeners. Normally, we do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances in the current miserable state of the church, uh, we can no longer parody the church because the church just parodies itself. For proof of this particular concept, uh, we now present to you um, the uh, Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. I'll tell you, three weeks ago, we did a Friday Night School of the Spirit, and we saw 12 people heal the Word of Knowledge, and 40 healed doing the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. Let's just go ahead and do that and see what the Lord does. You guys okay to do the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey? Can you lead it? All right, Brian's going to lead us in the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. You can Put your right hand in, put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you dig your right hand out. You put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand Put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it, all about. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. Put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about.
with the arms, uh, nothing, nothing real effect, but then as soon as I just start, we doing the whole, we'll put your left foot in, your right foot in, both of my knees, you know, one at a time, I could just feel, all of a sudden, it's like there was no pain, I said, and you said, start checking yourself, I just squat down. That's awesome, thank you, Lord, for new knees, in Jesus' name, come on, come on. Um, I've had back problems most of my life, and a couple, of we- about a week ago, my back had gone out, and it was somewhat better, but it was still sore. Uh, up until today, and when we did that hokey pokey, and she came up and testified, all the pain. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Shake it, shake it, shake it all about. You put your whole head in, you take your whole head out. You put your whole head in, take your whole head out. You put your whole head in, take your whole head out. Now put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. And you shake it, 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 and you shake it. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that those people selling books giving you practical advice on how to raise the dead, that's just practically how they're fleecing you to make money. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you're going to see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, 
Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. It helps us have a steady income month to month so that we don't have as many peaks and valleys in our uh, giving cycles so that we can budget properly, pay all of our bills, which is really important. We, we run a very tight ship here at Fighting for the Faith. And then on top of that, uh, it makes it possible for us to plan our next exploits, which we are doing. And uh, and so if you are growing, learning, and enjoying Fighting for the Faith, then please uh, join our crew as, so that we can continue to uh, bring this important uh, outreach to you as well as to the world. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution rather than joining our crew, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, time for a new Apostolic Reformation update. That requires us to do this. What do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the teams have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world The Pinky and the Brain, yes Pinky and the Brain Their twilight campaign is easy to explain To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain All right, time to check in with uh, Lance Wall now of the uh, New Apostolic Reformation, and he's one of these big guys out there promoting the the cultural mandate or the uh, mandate to take over the seven mountains and conquer and take dominion and all this kind of nonsense. And uh, here is his Passover prophecy for this year that he broadcast on Periscope and Facebook. Here we go. Wow, I've been gone for a while. Did you notice I was missing? Hello, my friends. It's Lance Wall now. We are now live on our dual universes of Facebook and Periscopian land. And I just, I've been gone for like five days, and Annabelle and I, my wife and I took off and went off to the Gulf of Mexico. And I, you know, it was quite a withdrawal I was going through because I have no Wi-Fi ability there other than just kind of like some email and stuff. So I didn't do any broadcast. But uh, what a momentous week this has been. And I want to prophesy right now that the Lord has a word for you in this season on what he's doing to reclaim the inheritance in your life and restore to you that which the enemy has sought to take, that we are in the season. So he's prophesying. Yeah, apparently the Lord wants to reclaim a lost inheritance. It sounds, I mean, he's using biblical terminology, but this is not from God. And a strategic crossing over yeah. into the possession of new land. Right, the strategic crossing over of the possession of the new land, which means, you know, you need to conquer your 
your Canaanites, yeah, um, and your Balletites and your Uptites too. You you need to conquer those as you strategically cross over into the reclaimed inheritance breakthrough shaking possession thingy. Right, yeah. I just came across some powerful realizations that, you know, the Passover started this week. Mm-hmm. But this is no ordinary Passover. I'm- no, it, 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 uh, right. I mean, this is probably the most significant Passover since Jesus died, you know. First day of Passover was when Gorsuch, the Supreme Court uh, judge, was put into office. Right. I mean, I mean, that has to mean something, right? By the way, that's the reading of omens, which Scripture forbids. And my friend, Sidney Jacobs, said to me that the Lord spoke to her that that the the death angel passed over the United States. Really? Seriously? So the death angel passed over the United States because Gorsuch became the Supreme Court justice. Really? Tell me more. On that Passover mm-hmm. day, yeah. as this new Supreme Court justice was put in. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty powerful statement, don't you think? Yeah. That uh, this first day of Passover is when Gorsuch goes into the Supreme Court. But what's interesting also is that in this year, 2017, June 7th, is going to be the 50th anniversary of Israel recovering Jerusalem as its capital. This year is the 50th anniversary of Jerusalem being uh, recovered by by the uh, Jewish state. On May 2nd, Israel is going to celebrate the 70th national anniversary of their formation as a nation. It's the seventh. Right, yeah. Uh, did you learn this technique from William Tapley? I'm just curious, you know. Yeah, that's like the year of, you know, like the year of uh, it's fascinating to me. The, so it's- the year of fascinating to Lance Walnut. Well, then uh, that's really important if it's fascinating to him, you know. 70th anniversary of Israel becoming a nation. It's yeah. the 50th anniversary right. of them recovering their nas- national capital. Yeah. And it's the 100th anniversary in November of what? Of the uh, establishment of the Jewish state in the Balfour Declaration uh, that, uh, you know, took place right after World War One. So it's the 100th anniversary of the declaration of the restoration of Palestine, Israel. It's the 50th anniversary of recovering the capital. It's the 70th anniversary of, um, of, their, of their formation of the nation. Yeah. And so it's all happening right now. This is a this is a big year in the in the No, actually everything you've described has already happened back then. And you're trying to make it sound like oh this has super significance right now, you know, cuz of the Passover. Which basically means you've evacuated the Passover of all of its biblical significance as it points to Christ, which is exactly what it does. Christ our Passover lamb has been slain, Scripture says. Uh huh. That's in the New Testament. And the Passover always pointed to him. Mm-hmm. You want the death angel to pass over you in its correct sense? Yeah, you need to, ha- you need to actually have your sins taken care of by Christ mm-hmm. through his blood. I'm in heaven for the recovery of territory. Mm-hmm. Now I, I'm still amazed that we're, I still I, I still think we we don't get it. I mean, as prophetic as the church is, it does, still doesn't understand who Trump is. Trump. Trump, what does Trump have to do with the Passover? 
is a secular Cyrus. This is what I said in 2015. Yeah, this is also what William Tapley says. And uh, now, what happened to him? He said, we're not going into Syria, stay out of Afghanistan, stay away from meddling with other nations. And what does he do? He takes a look at the burnt bodies of babies, and he's so revulsed that, boom, he orders a strike on Syria out on an air base where Russians are, and he notifies the Russians, get the heck out of there, I don't want anybody hurt, but I'm, going, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a retaliatory strike. It's, it's, this ended... Uh, the era of George Bush and Obama with a dang, you know, just a, uh, with a blast. Putin is trying to figure out what the heck happened. Mm-hmm. And what does this have to do with the Passover again? Now, this, this should not have surprised us. What, if you go to Isaiah 45, 150 years before Cyrus came on the scene, the scripture says this, and I said, the 45th president of the United States, the Lord said to me, the 45th president will be a Cyrus. Mm-hmm. You, you sure that was God talking to you? And it says, thus says the Lord to Cyrus, whom I've anointed. Now watch this. It's right there in verse 1. To subdue nations. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, wow, this is so – this is William Tapley-esque. And uh, I would remind you, many people over the years have asked me, why do you play those William Tapley segments? It's for segments like this. You see, William Tapley has no chops, like none. <laughs> he's worked on his video production value. I'll give him that. And, you know, he's – become better at creating more interesting backdrops for himself. Uh, you know, I don't have a problem admitting that with William Tapley, but he, he lacks charisma. He <laughs> lacks credibility. And I mean, it, it's pretty obvious what William Tapley is. This is a fellow who should not be allowed by his family to actually own a video recorder let alone have his own YouTube channel, and he's baked his brain on eschatological code cracking and things like that. And he literally is the Don Quixote of eschatology, and he just looks like a fool. But here's the thing. Lance Walnow, Dr. Lance Walnow, he's got street creds in the New Apostolic Reformation. He's one of the smartest guys in the room when it comes to the NAR. And... What is he doing? He's doing the exact same thing that William Tapley is doing. It's just that Lance Wall now has street creds and William Tapley has none. And so as a result of the, 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 the Lance Wall now's periscopians are watching this and just going, Oh, this is the best thing ever. Donald Trump is Cyrus. He's, it says it in Isaiah 4. No, it doesn't. Isaiah 45 is an actually amazing prophecy regarding Cyrus, not Donald Trump. This is eisegesis in the name of prophecy. Trump doesn't want to get involved with North Korea. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to disarm North Korea. Watch it. He doesn't want to get involved with Syria. Guess, Guess what was the first nation that Cyrus in Babylon subdued? Syria. Oh, wow, that means Trump's going to subdue Syria because he's Cyrus. No, he's not. 
You can't make this stuff up, people. Actually, you are making it up. That's the thing. The uh, the nations, uh, it was Syria, Assyria, Cappadocia, Babylon, all the way down to Ethiopia, all the way across to the Indian Ocean. That was the territory that was given to Cyrus when he came to power. By the way, read this. I have anointed Cyrus to subdue nations before him. This Yeah, that would be Cyrus. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is not Cyrus. They don't even sound the same. Freak out the liberals that watch my show. Uh, because this Trump is anointed to deal with rogue government. What? Kings of the earth that are threatening God's purposes and holding back God's blueprint. This is a fascinating period of time to be alive. It says it right there. Now, the reason why this escaped me before is because I listened to what Trump said and I figured he's not going to do it. He's not going to get involved with nations. What was I thinking? Of course he is. Why? Because the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. This man literally goes like that. And, and some people say it's unpredictable. It's totally predictable. Because God will move his heart like that. Oh, man. Oh, man. And the sad part in all of this is, you know, how many of these people are hanging on every word this guy, you know, speaks? I mean, how many tens of thousands of viewers have already viewed this and thought, oh, this is what God is up to right now? And they have completely lost the plot. They're not paying any attention at all to what Scripture actually says or teaches. They're totally off on a bizarre, eschatological, prophetic bunny trail and you know what they're not doing? Making disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that Christ has commanded, and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. No, all of their Bible study is, oh, is, is Trump cybersh? What's he going to do next? He, Lance Walna said that it's totally predictable. We need to dig into Isaiah 45 to figure out what Trump is going to do. No, you need to read the prophet Isaiah and pay attention to how he points to Christ. And what was going on in the time of the prophet Isaiah, oddly enough, is actually happening now in our own country. Not in a way that you'd sit there and go, wow, look at Isaiah 11 prophesies what's happening in America. No. You can sit there and you can say, look at what was happening in Israel at the time of the prophet Isaiah and how wicked were the people, although they were religious, right? And you can sit there and say, yeah, there's parallels going on as to what's happening in our country right now. The same cycle of idolatry, the need for repentance and a return to what to return to the true God. Yeah, that that needs to happen in our nation as well. Boy, but oh, man, this is such utter nonsense. Wow. And because he's Lance Wall now, oh, he's the smartest guy in the NAR. People just think that this is what God is really up to when he's not. Not at all. Moving along. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea, what makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth. 
honey tea that Christmas, just like the Christmas tree. You know they walk a mile just to see me smile. Woo! Yeah, that's right. That can mean only one thing. It's time for an Osteen family update. Yeah, you'll note that we've uh, expanded it. It's no longer just Joel. I mean, because, you know, Joel and his whole family are involved now in the family business of uh, spewing false doctrine. So we're heading over to Lakewood, and we're going to be listening to a part of the message that Victoria Osteen delivered on Easter Sunday. And the purpose of this is to give you an example of what it is that you are looking for for the worst Easter sermon of the year. Yeah, that's exactly what this is about. Victoria Osteen will be engaging in one of the classic Easter text twists, and that's the allegorizing of the, well, the stone covering the tomb of Jesus, you know, trying to find some spiritual significance of, you know, the stone that was in front of the tomb. And so uh, with that, I think you'll kind of get the idea, although she's not going to make the cut for the uh, worst Easter sermon of the year contest. This will give you an example of what it is that you're looking for. And if your pastor does this, uh uh-huh. Your pastor is twisting God's word and not rightly handling it. And it's as obvious as the nose on someone's face when you see it done during an Easter sermon. Here's Victoria Osteen. He lives so we can live. Hasn't it been amazing to just worship God in such an amazing, powerful atmosphere of truth? That he is the risen Savior. There's no problem too big for him. There's no obstacle that he can't overcome. Today, let's just give him one more great big shout of praise for what he's done. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we bless you in this place. Thank you for being here today. You may be seated. It's good to have you in the house of the Lord. It's a good Sunday. Have you ever watched a movie or a show and you'd seen it before? You knew the end of the story? Maybe you were watching it with a friend and they knew, they didn't know the end of the story, but you did. So when all the suspenseful parts were coming, you weren't anxious or concerned because you knew the end of the story. You see, today you and I are living in the end of the resurrection story. See, we know what happened the day that Jesus died. We know what happened when he was buried. He rose again. We're living at the end of the story. But see, 2,000 years ago, there was disciples and followers of Jesus that were actually living in the story. They didn't know what was going to happen. You know, the interesting thing about a story, when you're watching it, that's one thing. But when it's happening to your own life, that's an entirely different thing. You see, when it's happening to you and you face difficulties and challenges and suspenseful Plots, it's difficult. You can't always remember the end of the story. You can't always remember what has been promised. See, today I want to talk about a band of women. One being Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and a few others. You see, they lived, they were living the story 2,000 years ago. In fact, they saw Jesus as he walked the earth. They saw him do tremendous miracles. 
They saw him open blind eyes and deaf ears. In fact, Mary Magdalene, her life was completely changed, radically changed by Jesus. She had a miserable life. The Bible says that she was full of darkness. But Jesus touched her and she became full of life. See, she was living the story of this grand savior, Jesus. But she also lived the story of his death. She walked through the story when he hung on the cross. She saw how he died, how the soldiers mocked him, how they pierced his side. She saw how when he came down off that tomb, a man named Joseph asked Pilate for the body, took Jesus' body, wrapped it in linen and buried it and put it in a tomb. And that tomb was sealed that day with a huge, huge stone. She saw it all. And as Jesus lay in that tomb, her hopes, her dreams lay there with him. Her hopes and her dreams laid there with Jesus? How, how, how do you figure? See, she saw it all. She was living in the story. One day after the Sabbath, she woke up early in the morning. The Bible says the sun had just come up. And she and that band of women, they gathered spices. They wanted to anoint Jesus' body one last time. They were on their way to the tomb. I can imagine it was still misty in the air. There was still dew on the grass. They had all their stuff. They knew their assignment. They knew what their heart was beating for. And they were on their way. But on that path. Notice she's not actually reading a biblical text. To the tomb. They remembered something. They remembered the large stone that sealed the entrance of that tomb. Yeah. And they began talking among themselves about that big obstacle. They began thinking, how in the world are we going to move that stone? The Bible says in Mark 16, 4, they said among themselves, who will help us roll away the stone? You see, that stone represented a block to them. It represented a block to them. That's right. It, I mean... Are, are there stones in your life that are blocking you from your, your dreams? As long as that stone was there, they couldn't enter the tomb and anoint the body of Jesus. That stone was too big for them to move themselves. Have you ever felt that way before? Um, no. Yeah, um, we, you know, by the way, uh, the, the, the congregation that I serve as a, as pastor, Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota, um, they have a graveyard. And, um, yeah, there are no sarcophagi or above ground tombs or anything like that there. Everyone's buried in the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've never actually experienced, you know, that the feeling of anxiety as far as like, how am I going to roll a tombstone in order to enter a tomb to anoint a body? I've never experienced that anxiety ever in my life. Has something ever blocked your life? Huh? Maybe you've heard your own self saying, who's going to help me move this thing? Move what thing? Have you ever... The couch my wife needed moved? Is, is that what you're talking about? Had a block in your life? Maybe you wanted to start a new business, but you kept hitting obstacles. Draining your resources. <laughs> what? <laughs> this 
is so absurd. So let me see if I have this right. So if I ever wanted to start a business, and I have, I've started several in my lifetime, and there were uh, obstacles draining my resources, that's the same thing as the women having worried about who was going to move the stone in Jesus's tomb (laughs) so they could anoint his body. Yeah, I don't think that works that way. Maybe you had a stone of an unwanted divorce. Maybe you had kidney stones, yeah. A stone of a bad medical report? Stone of fear? Right, yeah, okay. Stone of debt? Yes, this, the debt stone, yeah. Those debt stones, man, really hard to move. See, those stones, they're real. Like- oh, yeah, yeah. Ask anyone, debt stones, man. Huge, they're real. They're, they're the real thing, man. Come in different shapes and different sizes. Yeah. Maybe the stone you're not facing, you're facing today is not as big as the one at the tomb. Right. How would I be able to compare them, you know? Maybe it is. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. <laughs> I'll never know. You know, it's it's a big mystery now. <laughs> How big is your debt stone? Is it as big as the stone in front of Jesus' tomb? Yeah, okay. But can I tell you, uh-huh. it's, a, it's a stone that wants to block you. It's real. Stones want to... Bl- I didn't know that stones had a will. <sighs> this is a revelation, folks. Stones have their own will. And stones, man, they want to block you. Yeah, I, she said so right there. I mean, I don't know where the brain of a stone is, you know, and it, but it wants to block you. They come in different shapes. Yeah. They come in different sizes. Right. What size and shape is your stone? But you know what the purpose is? The pr- what is the purpose? Purpose is to stop us. Right. That's what that's what stones exist to do. In fact, there's a big stone conspiracy out there. Mm-hmm. And you'll find that anything that's blocking you from achieving something that you believe that God's called you to do in your life, there's a rock somewhere behind it. The purpose is to trap us, yeah. thinking that we'll never overcome that stone. It's too. That's right. That see, when the stone presents itself, it goes. You're never going to get past me. I am a stone, and I will to stop you. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Largest church in America here, folks. Yeah. Too big. The yeah. challenge is too hard. Yeah. We might as well quit now. Yeah. Give up. The stones are against you, man. You know what I loved about Mary and Martha, uh, Mary and Mary, no. was the fact that when they remembered the stone, yeah. they didn't stop. Right, that's right. They had the courage to face the stones in their life. Do you have the courage to face your stones? Kept going. And when they got to the tomb, the Bible says that they looked up. Yeah. And they were so surprised. Yes. The stone had been rolled away. Oh. Man, God intervened. It's a miracle. The miracle of the stone moving. And you sit there and go, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait a second. That's the big thing that God did was move the stone. I thought the big thing was that, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. (laughs) 
Talk about missing the forest because of a tree here, you know. The stone was not blocking the tomb anymore. The obstacle that was trying to defeat them had been rolled away. Think of... (laughs) That's right. That stone was trying to defeat them. All the way from, like, Friday, man, Jesus was put into the tomb, and and then that stone was rolled in front of the tomb, and the stone's going, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to defeat you now. <laughs> There's no way you're going to be able to get in here. Yeah, Jesus is dead, man. He's going to stay dead because I'm a stone, you know. <laughs> and the people who laid were going, that was, that was, yeah, let's give a clap for that. Yeah, golf clap. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. About that just a minute. What they were worried about, what was there, is now gone. Yeah. Mary walked into the tomb and saw the angel. And the angel de- declared to her, are you looking for Jesus? He's not here. He's risen. Right, which would be the real miracle there. He's risen. What exactly does the stone do in this story at this point? <laughs> I mean, they have these audience shots now. And the people at Lakewood, there's a few people in the audience who kind of look puzzled. But other people, they're pla- they're clapping because, you know, I mean, after all, she's the wife of America's pastor. Right? You see, the problem that she was facing that day yeah. was met with the promise. The, the, the promise of what? promise of the resurrection. The, the promise of the resurrection undoes the stone that wants to block you? What? As soon as the angel told her, he's not here, he's risen. The Bible says that she was reminded of the promises of Jesus. Right. So the promises of Jesus that he'd rise from the grave meant that the resurrection will overturn all the stones in your life. He said, I'll rise again. Yeah. He said the temple will be built back in three days. See, when she heard it, she remembered the promise. Sometimes when you're walking through a difficult situation and there's obstacles in your path, it's hard to remember those resurrection promises. Um, what? (laughs) This is so absurd. Oh my goodness. Really? Yeah, I think you got you got to remember those resurrection promises, right? Well, there are promises regarding the resurrection of the dead in scripture. When Jesus returns in glory, I, I will be resurrected. Right? And if you're a believer in Christ, you will be too. And new heavens, new earth. But what are you talking about? But can I tell you today, stones are meant to stop you. Sometimes there are stones in reality that you cannot move on your own. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, man. This is so bad. They're impossible. They're out of your control. Yeah. But can I tell you today that Jesus is alive and he's still rolling away the stones? <laughs> so Jesus is alive and he's a member now of the Rolling Stones. Okay. Okay, I can't 
get no satisfaction out of this sermon. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I know that was a pun. I, I write my own stuff. Anyway, wow. So there you go. That's what you're looking for with <laughs> this year's <laughs> worst Easter sermon of the year contest. I almost feel obligated to have her be like an honorary contestant because that was so absurd. <laughs> I mean, totally missing the whole point. And the people there are just like slurping up going, oh, yeah, yeah we're, we're getting some really good Easter preaching here. No, no, really, you didn't. <laughs> that was just nonsense. So... <laughs> What did you think? I'd love to get your feedback. Do you like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith? You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to listen to a good Easter sermon. We're going to let Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley lead off our good sermons uh, for this week. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Reformanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Reformanda and join the fight for the faith. 
today. with good Easter sermons first. But let's do this right. Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Bethel Evangelical Free Church, Hanley Stoke on Trent in the United Kingdom. Pastor Jervis Nicholas Edward Charmley presiding. The name of the sermon is He is Risen. It is based upon the Gospel of Mark's account of the resurrection of Christ. And you're going to note that Pastor Charmley begins by reading the text, then exegeting the text, and no, the stone doesn't represent an obstacle that's trying to keep you from your destiny. Yeah, he's not going to do that. <laughs> so let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here's our first good sermon for this week. Here's Pastor Jervis Nicholas Edward Charmley. Let us read from the Holy Scriptures, from Mark's Gospel, the Gospel according to Mark, and chapter 16. Mark's Gospel, chapter 16. Mark has recorded the trial and the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ and his burial in a a tomb provided by Joseph of Arimathea. He has told us that Christ was buried in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock and the stone had been rolled against the door of the tomb and that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. So Mark chapter 16. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away. It was very large, and entering the tomb they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going before you into Galilee. 
There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did, not, uh, they did not believe those who had seen him after he had arisen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his most holy word. Our text this morning is found in the chapter that we read, Mark's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 6, the words of the angel. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. He is risen. He is not here, says the angel in the tomb, the messenger of God. Easter morning has come. Our joy should be marvelous indeed. Because we have every reason to rejoice. And we have no reason to be depressed, unhappy. It's always amazing to read over the story of that first Easter morning. That story that begins with people who are downcast and ends with people who are filled with amazement. With joyous amazement that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. With this surprising, this marvelous joy that came to them. And so we see here, first of all, the devotion of the women. Ye, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. They sought him. We see then the declaration, he is not here. He is risen. And we see the deliverance. He is not here. He is risen. So first we have the women's devotion. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. There were many who just a week before had welcomed him with cheers. Hosanna. 
Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had strewn their garments and strewn palm branches on the road before him as they rejoiced in Messiah's coming. But where were they now? They had melted away as soon as he was arrested. They vanished. As soon as he was arrested, it was not the pilgrims who had welcomed him who were prominent, but it was the Jerusalem crowd who shouted, Crucify him! And where was the devotion? It had melted away for many. It had been just a momentary excitement. It happens sometimes. It happens a lot of the time. Talk about someone being famous for 15 minutes. 15 minutes of fame, it seemed, to many. But because the crowds had not entered into the reality of who he was, they didn't know him. The women knew him. At least in a sense, they knew him. And see how they loved him. When the Sabbath was passed, they came very early in the morning. Other gospel writers tell us that they set out before the sun had risen. They arrived, we are told here, after the sun had risen, but they set out while it was still dark. They would have been waiting through the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you were not allowed to do anything like anointing a dead body. They were not allowed to go to the tomb on the Sabbath by the law, and they knew that Jesus himself as their rabbi, as their teacher, he had respected the law of God, although he had disrespected man's additions to it. And so they waited through the Sabbath, but they were thinking about it. They were considering what they were to do. They loved him. They could not get out of his, out of their minds on that Sabbath day the fact that Jesus was in the tomb. See how they loved him. Even though they didn't understand. They expected to find that he was dead. But they loved him. And they showed their devotion. They had bought spices. Now, we are told that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, wealthy men, they had embalmed the body, they had wrapped the body of Jesus with a great quantity of spices. Could these women have, have bought even more? Was there need for more? Of course not, but devotion doesn't think about need. Devotion doesn't do what... Judas did, adding up, calculating. This might have been sold for so much. Judas added in his words, of course, and given to the poor. But in his heart he thought, after I've taken a good cut of it myself. But love doesn't enter into calculations. Love is extravagant. Love is devoted. They did what they could they gave what they could because they loved him. They loved him. But they believed that he had failed. Not for his own 
reasons, not because he himself was a failure, but because he came to his own and his own did not receive him. They saw him as the victim of wicked men, and on a, a merely human level he was. They had taken the Messiah, they had crucified him. They expected these women to find a dead body because the chief priests, the scribes, the Romans, Herod, all these had come together, conspired together against the Lord and against his anointed. And after all, the women were reasonable first century people. And reasonable first century people know that dead people don't come back. It's not normal. Reasonable people, even those who have seen miracles, don't expect to see miracles every day. But they had forgotten what Jesus had said himself. He had said many times that the Son of Man goes up to Jerusalem to be crucified. And to rise again on the third day. But they had allowed, these women had allowed, as all the disciples had their expectations about a triumphant, victorious Messiah. They would allowed these to get in the way, to block up their ears as it were, so they didn't hear what Jesus said about his death and resurrection. They were devoted unto him. They believed, yes, that his ministry had failed in a sense. But they were devoted. They loved him. And so they would give themselves in service even to the dead Christ. Disappointed they were, but they were devoted. And they came to the tomb. And they had said among themselves, well, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? It was a, a great stone, a big stone that it would have taken four or five, maybe half a dozen or more strong men to move it. Who will move the stone? But they came and the stone had been rolled away. And they hurried inside to see what was to be seen. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. The young man was, of course, an angel taking the form of a man, and they understood this. And whenever people see angels in the Bible, they are alarmed because the angels are holy, and we are not. And so we come to our second point, the declaration, the words of the angel. Do not be alarmed. Very often when people have encountered with angels, the angels say to them, do not be alarmed or do not be afraid because it's natural for sinful men, sinful human beings when we see a holy person, a holy being to say that we are alarmed, to be alarmed, to be afraid. Do not be alarmed, he said. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. The empty tomb is not enough. 
The empty tomb is a glorious fact. People sometimes say, well, where is the archaeological evidence of the resurrection? Well, you know, an empty tomb is empty. You can't tell who was there because it's empty. Now, there there is a, a tomb or what's left of a tomb. But you know, Jesus is risen from the dead. He is risen, and so we cannot find his tomb in the sense that we can find the tomb of Muhammad, or of the Buddha, or any other of the world's religious leaders, because he is not there. The empty tomb is not enough, however, because they come to the tomb, and the question is, why? Why is it empty? And they might well have thought, we are told indeed that Mary Magdalene did think that somebody had taken the body away. Because again, reasonable first century people don't accept, first century Jews, a resurrection before the end of the age. Yes, there will be a resurrection at the end of the age, but here and now... So there must be an explanation. There has to be someone there. The facts need to be interpreted. What do they mean? And that is where God speaks. And he sent his angel, his messenger. That's what the word angel means. It's simply a Greek word that means a messenger. He sends his messenger with a message. And the messenger says... Here's the explanation. He is risen. He is no longer dead. And the angel was not sent. Was not sent to Herod. Was not sent to those who set themselves against Jesus, to the enemies of Christ. He was sent to meet those devoted women when they came to the tomb. He was sent to tell them. If it had not been for their devotion, for their love to Jesus, they would never have seen the angel. The stone was not rolled away for Jesus, but for them. It was not that Jesus needed the stone to be rolled away to get out, but they needed the stone to be rolled away so that the women could come in and hear the message. The angel comes with this joyful duty, this joyful work to say to these women who love the Lord and angels above all understand what it means to love God. To tell them he is risen, he is not here. You've come to a tomb looking for a dead body, there's no dead body in this tomb. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And the message, the declaration of the angel tells us that death could not hold him. Death could not hold on to him. He tells us the Lord himself in the book of Revelation. He says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And hold the keys of death and of Hades. That is the keys of death and the place of the dead. The total control of death 
is given into his hands. Death could not hold on to him. He died. And he died for our sins. Again the Apostle Paul tells us he was delivered up for our offences. Just as we need a declaration to tell us what is going on with the empty tomb, so we need a declaration to tell us what is going on with the cross. And it's this, it's Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. As the prophet Isaiah put it, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, that is to say, the suffering that brings peace with God. And being justified by faith, we can have peace with God. He died for us. He dies to atone for our sins, not his own. He has nothing himself to die for. That's the marvel of the crucifixion in that sense that you have a perfectly good, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous man crucified. And it's not simply the biggest miscarriage of justice in history because he offered himself. He tells us, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. He was not a helpless victim. He was indeed a victim in the sense that he was a sacrifice, but not a victim who was victimized, but he offered himself, he was a willing sacrifice. Lo, I delight to do your will, O God, he says. He died, and now everything he died to do is done. It is finished, as he said. And therefore there is no way that he can remain dead. He must rise again from the dead. He must rise. That body that was broken upon the cross, that body that was crucified, dead and buried, is transformed. And raised in new life. This isn't like the raising of Lazarus. Who resumed for a time the life that had been cut short. But no, Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. He was delivered up for our offences. He was raised again for our justification. That's to say that when he rose from the dead, it's a declaration. There's a declaration in the resurrection. A wonderful declaration is this. That there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to those who trust in him. Why? Because he has been condemned. Because he has fully paid the debt. That image is used again and again of sin as a debt that we owe to God. Not a financial debt, but a debt of work. A debt of honour. And also a debt because we have 
not given God what we ought to give him, there is a debt of punishment that is owed. And Christ has done it all. He has lived a perfect life of love. A perfect life. A life that is devoted to the glory of the Father and to the service of his neighbours. Never, no man ever loved like this man he went, who went around doing good. And then he died the most terrible, accursed death because cursed is everyone, everyone who is hung upon a tree. So the Bible tells us the imagery there, of course, is that earth will not have the one who is crucified. He is lifted up then from the earth. Heaven will not have him. And therefore he is fixed between the two, accursed of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries. But then on Easter morn he is raised from the dead. Christ is risen from the dead. Death is conquered. And he declares that everyone who believes in him then is justified, counted right before God because the sinless Saviour died. My sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Justification, a glorious, wonderful declaration. And thirdly and finally, we see the deliverance, the deliverance. That Christ's death is not in vain. He died to deliver his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus said the angel at his, before his birth. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And now he rises from the dead, and the angel declares here in the tomb, he is risen, and his people are delivered from sin, set free. Christ's death is not in vain. He is not deluded. He is not even simply a martyr we say nothing we can say nothing against true martyrs of God those who love not their lives unto death those who died because they trusted in God those who were ordered by wicked men blaspheme God and live and replied I cannot blaspheme him and therefore I will die we can say nothing against martyrs, but Jesus is more than a martyr. He died, not a martyr, certainly not a failed revolutionary as some foolish men would have it, as some people will say in their works of sensational fiction, and that's what these things are, whatever they're marketed as. But he died a sacrifice for sins. And he rose again, declaring deliverance from sin. He is, you see, the great liberator. But not a liberator in the way that earthly revolutionaries imagine. Earthly revolutionaries, they look and they see the oppression of men by tyrants. 
And they say we will deliver men from tyranny. But oh so often. Yesterday's revolutionary is today's dictator. Yesterday's liberator proves to be today's enslaver. Because they take up the sword. And they commit injustice and murder in an attempt to end injustice and murder. But you cannot do that. But Jesus Christ is no earthly revolutionary. Because he didn't come to liberate his people from the Romans. Being ruled by the Roman Empire could be a very difficult thing. But there is a worse tyrant than any Caesar. A worse tyrant than even Nero Caesar. was one of the worst of the Caesars. And that is sin. Sin. Godlessness. That rebellion against God that boils in the heart of every sinful man. And from sin Christ delivers his people. He died on the cross and there he defeated sin, death and the devil. The prophecy had been given. The word had been given to the devil. Notice it had been given him thousands of years before. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. There would be a seed of the woman who would overcome and tread the devil down. And Jesus is his name. And Christ there upon the cross defeated all his enemies. It's a marvellous thing. Men looked at him and they imagined that they had defeated him. But he defeated all his foes there by dying on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. One offering. It is finished. His people there, all his people are delivered by the ransom of his blood. And by his resurrection he tells us that. He declares it. And he shows that his people are delivered. That there is a pardon that is absolutely sure. And he died for sinners. Tell his disciples. And Peter, said the angel. Tell his disciples first of all. that They will be delivered from fear, from terror. They will be delivered from that despondency that has fallen upon them. Tell his disciples, tell his disciples who know that they need him, who know that they need deliverance, and tell Peter. Because Jesus, Jesus no doubt told the angel, now be very sure that you say to those women, and Peter, because I know Peter, and Peter is going to be beating himself up about this, and Peter is going to say in his heart, well I was a disciple. I did follow Jesus. I did follow after him. I did say on that night that I would die with him. And I denied him three times. And I was terrified of even a little servant girl. And I am not worthy to be called a disciple. Because I fell in such a terrible way. 
and ran off and left him. I who made such boasts have become nothing. Ah, but... Jesus says, say, tell Peter that I have risen from the dead. And tell Peter that even if he thinks that he is worthless, that he is useless, that he is no disciple at all, that I care for him and I love him. Because Christ died for sinners and is raised again for sinners. Now all our sinners, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But not all are sinners in their own sight. All are sinners in God's sight. But not everybody is a sinner in his own sight. Those such sinners, such people who know that they are sinners, are rare indeed. Rare indeed that a hymn writer has put it like this. It's saying of such sinners, a sinner is a sacred thing. The Holy Ghost has made him so. The Holy Ghost has made him. The Holy Spirit has made him cry out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what do we see? But that God is merciful to sinners. To sinners, he says. He is risen. He is not here. To those who know they need him. He says, I am risen from the dead. And here in the resurrection is a promise as well. Of future deliverance. In the resurrection. Because Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits. Of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits say that there is a great harvest coming. For Jesus says that all who be, of all who believe in him I will raise him up. I will raise her up on the last day. He will raise up all those who believe in his name. To share in the glory of resurrection to share in the full and wonderful deliverance that he brings. Christ is alive. Christ is alive. And therefore he is worthy of all devotion, of all praise and honour. He is worthy. He sends his messenger with a declaration, He is risen. He sends his messengers out into the world still with that declaration. Messengers who are not, not angels indeed, but men. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hear, listen, let that declaration, that angelic word sink into your heart. Until your heart overflows with joy. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And he is risen, declaring deliverance to the captives. Deliverance from sin's condemnation. Deliverance from sin's power. And deliverance on the last day from death itself. As he, he, as he who is the first fruits gathers in the fullness of the harvest. He is risen. He is risen indeed. 
You seek Jesus who is crucified. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. The angel said. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. See the difference? Just a little comparative work there between Joel, Joel Osteen's wife and uh, Pastor Charmley. I think you get the point. All right. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.